It's January 26, 2024. Time for episode 256 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. It's the Friday edition. Happy Friday to all of you near and far. Let's kick off today's show with the Australian Open. The women's final is set. Unfortunately, Coco Golf could not finish the deal to get to the final, so she drops two sets to Arna Sabalenka, the second seed. Sabalenka will take on 12th seed Quinn Win Zhang. That match will be on uh, 3.30 on uh, Saturday morning, so going into late tonight, so uh, or early Saturday morning, 3.30 a.m. ESPN. So a little bit of history here. Zhang, she could be the first, I'm sorry, the second woman from China to win the Australian Open, and it'll be exactly 10 years since it happened. So Li Na uh, won the Australian Open 10 years ago. So she's a two-time Grand Slam champion. She won the 2011 French Open as well. Um, So I guess today's show might be unpopular opinion time again. So Sabalenka, um, number one, really good player. Um, I kind of feel like she's kind of... I don't know. Maybe she's like the new, not the new, maybe she's the current villain in women's tennis. I don't know. That's just my my observation. But um, if you remember back to the U.S. Open, it was very contentious in a way, not not from a outward way. The two players, you know, uh, Sabalenka and uh, uh, Coco Golf. Um, I kind of feel like this is the, the Sabalenka revenge tour, if you will. <laughs> Um, but it was a very decisive win for her in the semifinals to advance over golf. Um, but I think um, what stands out in my mind is, you know, during that match, there were, you know, some moments of, you know, protest, you know, or you're, you're going to the chair. And I guess the crowd felt some kind of way. The crowd was very pro Coco golf. And then at the same time, too, um, you know, then I guess she was feeling it and I guess she felt some kind of way. And then. A few days after the match, there was a video that was released. And again, as I'm thinking about it, you know, considering that deep fakes are a thing, I I don't know if that was actual footage or, you know, if it was, I'll say the same thing I said when I saw the footage. It's kind of invasion of privacy because it was kind of in the underneath the stadium, kind of near the locker rooms. And they show Sabalenka pretty much having a meltdown about the loss. And, you know, kind of in between the end of the match, I think getting ready to do the awards presentation. And I don't know. My, my whole thing is I, I didn't need to see that. I understand, again, emotions in sports. You know, you win, you're at the highest emotion. If you lose, you know, depending on how you lose, you know, your, your emotions are going to be down. But if you lose in a dramatic way, you're, you're going to be really down the dumps. But, you know, I, I, I didn't really need to see that. Now, does that kind of validate what I said about her being a villain? Not really, but I guess I kind of feel like the whole uh, there was a lot of tension to me in that in that match. But nevertheless, Sabalenka has advanced to take on Quinwin Zhang. The men's final is set. Oh, my gosh, man. We, we had two uh, classics. We had a five setter that just ended a few hours ago. Four-seeded Janik Center over top-seeded Novak Djokovic. 6-1, in the tiebreaker, and 6-3. Man, so if there was anything I really could have wanted to start the year, I wanted Novak Djokovic to get the hell up out of here. So Center took care of business. Congratulations to him. He'll take 
take on third-seeded Daniel Medvedev. Medvedev took down six-seeded Zarev, Alexander Zarev, 5-7-3-6, in a tiebreaker, 7-6-7-5 in a tiebreaker, and 6-3. I was kind of thinking Zarev was going to kind of make that push, but again, you can't ask for much more. I mean, Medvedev, I think, fought off, uh, fought a a five-setter a few days ago to get into the semis. So, yeah, man, this is going to be a very interesting final with Sinek and Medvedev. Their final will be 3.30 Sunday morning on ESPN. Let's move over to the NBA. The all-star starters were announced for the East and West teams. LeBron James makes history. He becomes the first player to be a 20-time all-star selection. I mean, that's amazing. What He's been in the league, what, 22 years, 21 years, something like that. So that is absolutely insane for him. So he joins Nikola Jokic from Denver, Kevin Durant from Phoenix, Luka Doncic from Dallas, and Shai Gilgis-Alexander from Oklahoma City. The East All-Stars from Milwaukee, Giannis Antetokounmpo from Milwaukee, Joel Embiid from Philadelphia, Jason Tatum from Boston, Tyrese Halliburton from Indiana, and Damian Lillard from Milwaukee. The reserves and coaches will be announced February 1st on TNT. And the game, February 18th, will go back to the traditional East versus West matchup. That's going to be fun. It always is. I mean, they end up scoring, what, 300 points of freaking, usually the over-under. I don't know. Who the hell bets on it? Does anyone bet on the All-Star game? That sounds a little crazy. But they always score about 300 points uh, between <laughs> between the two teams. You know, the scores use like 175 to 178 or something crazy like that. So, but it's going to be fun to see how this all pans out, coaches, reserves, and All-Star Games, always a good time with All-Star Weekend. Um, some coaching news. Mm. The Wizards move Wes Unsell to the front office. So essentially, the I think it was presented as a firing, and then they said, well, he's being reassigned, or the, the, the wording was crazy. I don't remember the exact wording, but he's not leaving the organization. He's just going to be repositioned in the organization. So they named uh, associate head coach Brian Keefe as the interim head coach. And in his first game, they lose to the Jazz last night, 123 to 108. The Wizards are now a, I believe, a league worst, 7 and 37. And you know what, man? (laughs) This team has not really been very, very good. I mean, they had that little stretch in the 90s with, you know, Agent Zero. But, I mean, can they get somebody in the front office who knows what the hell they're doing? I mean, for years and years and years, they had Ernie Grunfeld. And how well did that work? It didn't work very well. I mean, like I said, for those few years in the early 2000s where they went to the playoffs, great. But they go to the playoffs, they get their doors blown off in, like, the first round. So they'll lose, like, I think that's when they were still doing, like, five-game series to start, like, the first couple rounds. So they'll, like, get blown out, like, Two to uh, what three to one or three zero three zip they're out of here. So there was teams, but the teams never really had staying power to get pushed past the playoffs. So I don't know, man. And then of course now they're going to move move to Virginia, which is probably not probably is a major slap in the face to that fan base. Uh, yeah, man, I I can't call it. I mean, right now everyone's saying that. Oh well, at this point. They're just tanking it to get the top pick, and so you're going to get the top pick to screw it up because that's the other thing I have a problem with the Wizards. They literally draft people who I'm going, who is this person? They were drafting this guy from East Turkmenistan. 
okay, he's 6'8", never seen him play a, a day of basketball in his life. And they show us highlights and go, all right, he looks like he's decent, but never pans out. Or they trade for somebody, bring them in, and what? Nothing. Um, Jordan Poole, nothing. I mean, it's just been a big ball of nothing for the Wizards, and I don't see it getting any better. I could be wrong, but who knows? I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's you have to think about fans in, in the DMV. In this area, there isn't, from a sports standpoint, there isn't a really a lot to be happy about. I mean, D.C. United hasn't been good in years. The commanders are trying to get it together, so they're looking for a new head coach, new ownership. That's There's something to be happy about. I mean, we've, we've talked about this. Um, the Mystics, I don't know how that's going to go. I mean, what, Elena Deladon looks like she's probably going to leave. Natasha Cloud's probably going to leave. I mean, I hope they don't, but all the – all the people in the know, all the talking heads are saying they're probably going to be looking for greener pastures. So I don't know. I mean, what? who's left? Oh, the Nationals. Forget it. Don't get me talking talk about the Nationals. I mean, since the World Series, it's just gone downhill for them. So, I, yo, I mean, this this area needs – am I forgetting somebody? So you got to watch the, the, the Commanders, the Nationals, uh, the Wizards, uh, United, the Mystics. I'm, I think that's everybody. I mean, that's really it. And they're all just contributing to a whole lot of nothing. So it's just literally been a big ball of nothing for uh, the DMV as far as sports is concerned and professional sports for the most part. College sports, you know, again, very quiet there, too. <laughs> so now you're going to get into that, but you, you get the idea. NFL, let's move with the coaching news. Atlanta, they hire Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris. So Morris was the interim coach, uh, head coach in 2020. So since then, he's been made a few stops. He was in Los Angeles for three years. He was on the Super Bowl winning team in 2021. So this will be his second head coaching stint. So, hey, look, here, let's start a trend here. Let's get more black head coaches to be retreads. I know it sounds terrible, but most of the time, a lot of black head coaches get one head coaching job, get fired and never are heard from again. So Raheem Morris, he was at Tampa Bay from 2009 to 2011 and went 17-31. So hopefully it goes better. He's got a lot of things to think about. The quarterbacking situation, that's going to be an issue. You got Taylor Heineke versus Desmond Ritter. Who's going to be the guy? Are they going to go look for somebody? Who knows? It's a lot of questions. But I saw someone did a thread on Twitter yesterday where they showed the reactions of Falcons Twitter. And, well, sorry, guys. I mean, a lot of folks don't seem too happy. And, again, when you're in this start of, you know, beginning to look at either a new era, whether it be coaching or a new season where you're saying, okay, here's what we look like and here's what our schedule is, I mean, you're either going to be super excited because you're thinking it's new or you're going to be disappointed because you're thinking, well, how is next season going to be any better than this season? Or you're just going to have the neutral view of, okay, we're going to move forward. Uh, here's who we're going to play. Here are the known quantities. And we'll just have to see what we'll see as we get closer to the season. And I know the neutral, the neutral view is hard for fan base. I get it. I'm, I'm living it right now. And 
I don't know. It's it's just one of those things that you want the best for your team. And, you know, Belichick was supposed to be the guy, but, it you know, they went with Morris. And, you know, hey, I mean, Belichick, you know, people are talking like, well, maybe Belichick will be in Kansas City to, to succeed Andy Reid. Maybe. Is Andy Reid looking for another job? Is he planning to go anywhere? I, I don't know. But, I mean, that makes sense. But the thing about it is, if Andy Reid ain't going anywhere in the, any anytime soon, then I mean Belichick ain't getting no younger either. So I don't know. We'll see. But um, very good, in my opinion, good hire for Atlanta. Uh, the Carolina hires Tampa Bay offensive line coach Dave Canales as their head coach. So he be he'll be their fifth head coach since 2022. Good luck on that because your owners are jackass. Um, <laughs> unpopular opinion too. Chargers hire Jim Harbaugh as head coach. He gets a five-year deal. Remember that he was their quarterback from tw- uh, 1999 to 2000. At Michigan, he went 86-25. and 25. They won the Big Ten three times. And, of course, they just won the CFP, first national championship since 97. And overall in college, so he was at Michigan and Stanford. He goes 144-42. and 42. So as the 49ers coach, so this is his second stint back in the NFL, from 2011 to 2014, he was the coach of the year in his first season. And then Super Bowl 47, so as I mentioned on the last show, he faced his brother John and the Baltimore Ravens where they lost. And he left San Francisco with a 44-19-1 record. So this is probably, a, this is a great hire, number one. Number two, I called this back in October because guess what? When the news of the COVID violations hit and then all the suspensions, then knowing that that NCAA investigation was coming down. And then, of course, the sign-stealing stuff that happened. Michigan's in a bad place from a administrative perspective. Uh, from a football perspective, you know, Harbaugh raised or kind of re-raised the level of his alma mater. Now, remember, there were a lot of lost years. I mean, they hired Rich Rod, uh, you know, after what Lloyd Card retired. It was Rich Rodriguez, Brady Hoke. Eh, Michigan was kind of a middle of the pack team they weren't the Michigan that I grew up with they weren't the Michigan that people knew you know the Desmond Howards the Charles Woodson's the Tom Brady it wasn't that Michigan so now they're back up to a level Harbaugh leaves and the issue here is whoever takes over this team they have got to manage not just the expectations they've also got to manage the fact that there's an NCAA investigation that's going to potentially do something to that 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 standing and they've got to figure out how to get around it. So um, uh, Santa uh, Santa Ono, the president of Michigan and Ward Manuel were really pressing hard to give him a new contract. The word on the street is that this contract would have made him the richest head coach in college football. But, you know, again, you know, him leaving to go to the NFL to kind of be like, nope, not going to tell y'all what happened. Because remember, this time last year, he won't talk to investigators. The investigators sat him down and it was kind of that whole, you know, I ain't saying nothing. You know, he won't going to be no stool pigeon. He, uh, well, obviously, he ain't going to tell it himself. But whatever happened, we ain't really going to know. Now, again, the NCAA could still reach out to him and be like, all right, we're investigating this thing, what's going on? 
And is he still just going to be like, I ain't got nothing to say? I mean, what are they going to do to him? He's gone. He's going to be coaching the Chargers. So how this falls is really going to affect whoever takes over. So the next head coach has to come in. They're, they're going to come in knowing that they've got to manage this well, that they've got to figure out how to, number one, keep the roster intact, number two, how to implement their system and get the buy-in, and number three, kind of keep an eye on what's happening with this investigation because the level one investigation, the level level one allegations and the level one investigation, that's the highest. Let's remember that. And with that happening, when the NCAA figures this all out, comes down with punishment, I mean, we're talking loss of scholarships, bowl bans. I mean, you let's say you got a Michigan team that goes out and kills it again, and then they win the Big Ten, and then it's time for CFP time and go, I'm just saying, I don't think this investigation is going to be done by the end of the year. I don't think. But let's say it is. Then the NCAA says, oh, well, per our punishment, you can't compete in postseason play. Oops. So basically, these guys go out and have this undefeated season and nothing comes of it. Hey, it's happened before. Won't be the first time and definitely won't be the last time. So we'll kind of see how it all goes here. But um, it's going to be interesting times in Ann Arbor coming up. So we'll talk a little bit about in just a second the potential successors. But let's get to the conference championship pick. So who's going to go to Super Bowl 57? So these games will be on Sunday. So we start 3 p.m. on CBS. The Chiefs head to M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore to take on the Ravens. The Ravens are four-point favorites. I'm going to take the Ravens. So, again, I said this. I think I alluded to this last week that I thought the Ravens are definitely the team to beat. The road to Super Bowl goes through Baltimore. This is going to be a close game. I think this one comes down to the last possession to win this game. 6.30 on Fox. The Lions head out to San Francisco to take on the 49ers. The 49ers are seven and a half point favorites. Again, I said it last week. I think the two best teams in this conversation are the 49ers and the Ravens. I'll take the 49ers over the Lions. However, I'm going to say this much. If the Chiefs beat the Ravens, I think I'll be a touch shocked. If the Lions beat the 49ers, my my mind's going to be blown. I kind of feel like if anyone's going to upset anybody, well, I was going to say the Lions, but I kind of feel like both games, there is opportunities for for upsets here because the Ravens and the 49ers are your favorites. If we had a Chiefs-Lions Super Bowl, it would not blow my mind, but so much. It would be crazy. It would be interesting. Um I don't know what the script writers are saying because I think everybody wants a Ravens 49ers Super Bowl. I mean, you know, you know how this works. You know, when people start talking TV, oh, well, no one's going to watch a Chiefs-Lions Super Bowl. Really? No, I think people will tune in because it's the Super Bowl. Hell, I won't be watching, but I'll probably be definitely, uh, you know, for some reason, my, my, my wife's not really into sports, but she'll go, so who's playing the Super Bowl? I'll tell her. So you want to like do stuff for the Super Bowl? I'm kind of going, okay, but uh, whatever. I'm not watching the damn game, but sure, whatever the fuck you want to do, let's do it. So, you know, have this, you know, football-like spread for absolutely no fucking reason. But anyway, but uh, there's my picks for the championship game. We'll go Ravens 49ers for, uh, to meet in Super Bowl 57. 
let's move over to college football. So now the question is this. Who replaces Harbaugh at Michigan? So currently, the top target is offensive coordinator Sharon Moore. So he's 37 years old. So that's important. So as you remember, Moore, he was the acting head coach for at least about three to four games during Harbaugh's suspension. So remember, he was suspended the first, I think, three games of two to three games of the beginning of the season. I think he was head coach for one. And then I think he led them two or three games at the end of the season. Um, he was the co-offensive coordinator up until last January. So last January, we reported uh, that other offensive coordinator, Matt Weiss, was fired. So some issue with improper access on uh, at the football facility. So uh, Moore was elevated to offensive coordinator. So when he was when he came in, I believe he was the tight ends coach. Then he moved over to coach the offensive line. And that's where he made his impact. So once he made his impact with the offensive line, because the line received there's an offensive line award like best offensive line in the country and Michigan won it like two straight years with more coaching them so essentially he got promoted to co-offensive coordinator now he's calling the plays and you saw how dynamic that Michigan off dynamic that Michigan offense was so let's look at a little bit of history so here's where the age comes in Lloyd Carr so Lloyd Carr prior to Harbaugh was the last Michigan coach to win a national championship it was the 97 team but Carr was the last coordinator to be elevated to head coach. The difference here is, and, and I don't know how old he was, but Lloyd Carr was significantly older, had you know, a little, more long, little bit more long in the tooth, a little bit more experience, a little more skin in the game than Moore. Now, Moore is one of the top assistants in the country. I think, I feel like he either has been a uh, Broyles uh, Award um, semifinalist prior. I don't think he's won the Broyles Award, but I think he has been in the conversation for the Broyles Award a few times. So he, you know, he, he he knows his stuff. He's definitely a good offensive coordinator. So the age is kind of the thing, you know, having that experience, that time uh, as a coordinator leading up to being a head coach, that's kind of a, a concern. Um, now, the other thing, too, is he could possibly become Michigan's first black head coach, which long overdue um now you also and, and let's deal with the elephant in the room i think um uh, when they uh he they I think they asked him his his opinion about the whole jalen milrow thing with bill o'brien how bill o'brien told him you know man you should switch positions and milrow's kind of like excuse you <laughs> and uh then what o'brien's head back to wait he's going yeah you know, o'brien's going to ohio state which is crazy as oc but um, more, he said, you know, quote, in so many words, I don't see color, which I'm going, oh, God, here we go. You know, we're, we're <laughs> come on, man. Listen, you don't see color. OK, great. Get the head coaching job, lose to Ohio State, go seven and five. You will see color very quickly because that fan base will. There you go. So. He's kind of the top target from a continuity standpoint that the players like him. He's popular. He can kind of hold the locker room together, et cetera, et cetera. Now, outside of the in-house candidate, Sharon Moore, people have been floating Brian Kelly's name. Now, Brian Kelly makes sense from the standpoint of he's a Midwest guy. So his most of his coaching career up until LSU has been in the Midwest. So he coached Division II, he coached Notre Dame. Now, 
that Notre Dame connection is going to probably not make him that lovable to the fans because, you know, Notre Dame and Michigan don't really like each other. Now, again, Michigan, Notre Dame is nothing like Michigan, Ohio State, not even close. But um, when again, Kelly at LSU just still seems weird to me. I don't know about y'all, but it still seems weird to me. If he were to take the job, he would be the first LSU coach to not win a national title since 1999. So during that season, about halfway through the season, LSU fired Jerry DiNardo, and I believe that's when they hired Nick Saban. And there you go. Um, some other people, Lance Leipold from Kansas. So he has a little bit of Big Ten experience. He was a graduate assistant at Wisconsin under Hall of Famer Barry Alvarez. But cup one big problem, his buyout is humongous. So Lance in and, and, and Kansas, I mean, remember how terrible Kansas was? And Leipold has really just raised the stakes for that Kansas team. They're they're competing every year in the Big 12. Also in the Big 12, Chris Kleiman. So Chris Kleiman, he left North Dakota State after winning four FCS championships. He's got a Big 12 championship to his name. I mean, again, a good name, but I don't know. Kleiman, I believe, I believe Kleiman has been associated. I think Michigan State and one other job. His name was associated with it, and he and he. I think one of the jobs he went on Big Twelve Radio and said, "Absolutely not, I am not leaving." So I don't see climbing going anywhere. Again, anything can happen. What did I say about Kalen DeBoer? There you go. Um, Eli Drinkwith, Drinkwitz from Missouri. Okay, meh. He just signed. He just resigned a big extension. Number one. Number two. He's finally starting to elevate that Missouri program. So Missouri was kind of elevating, leveling off, elevating, leveling, leveling off. Now they're starting to hit their stride. So I feel like Missouri next season, I think they'll hit a big in the transfer portal. I feel like they have. Um, I think Missouri will keep climbing. Now they're going to be in the same stratosphere as Georgia. Mm, I doubt it. But I really am concerned when teams – go hire a coach who's the hot name. Now, Drinkwitz, again, it, it took some time because there was a few years where I'm thinking, this guy ain't going to make it. He, he got him to the Cotton Bowl this year, signed a big extension, and I'm sure whatever the extension is, there's gonna probably going to be a huge buyout, but I don't know Drinkwitz is going to be the answer at Michigan. Um, now, here's a name that could be interesting. If it's not more... If it's not Kelly, it might be Matt Campbell. So Matt Campbell from Iowa State. So over the last, not this hiring cycle, but maybe the two or three hiring cycles before, Matt Campbell's name has come up in damn near every job. Um, this year, the reports are saying he got interest from Washington when Kalen DeBoer left for Alabama. Now, Iowa State didn't have a great season this year, but if you look at his resume, Campbell is pretty consistent. Iowa State has gone to bowl six of their last seven years, and out of eight seasons, they've had two losing. So Campbell's, and I've said this, Matt Campbell's a good coach. And I think, I can't remember what job, I think it was USC came open and, and he was the he was mentioned. I said, eh, you know, maybe, you know, he could probably do well there. But Matt Campbell, and he's an Ohio guy. Now, again, people are going to feel some kind of way about you know, an Ohio guy coaching Michigan, but I mean, I'm sure that's happened before, <laughs> you know. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, hey, Michigan, Ohio guys go to Michigan and they go there to win 
Heisman trophies. But that's just, you know, you you, you knew that. But um, I don't know. I, Matt Campbell's name sounds interesting. Now, kind of going back to Leipold real quick, like I said, the buyout's the issue. And I think people have said that if there's any job you leave Kansas for, it'd be Michigan. So, so my thing is, if it's not Sharon Moore, it could be Matt Campbell, could be Lance Leipold. I would say Brian Kelly's kind of the outlier here. A couple other names that have Harbaugh links, and then it'll be through his brother. Your OC and DC at Baltimore, the Ravens. Todd Monken, who his name has come up a few times for uh, jobs recently. His brother Jeff is the head coach at uh, Army. And Mike McDonald, uh, your defensive coordinator. When we come back, we'll get into WNBA mock draft. We'll kind of look through the current mock draft standings uh, kind of as this, as the conference season kind of reaches halfway. We'll talk some college basketball. We'll kind of do some scores. We'll do schedules and we'll do some conference overviews. We'll see where teams are, men's and, men's and women's. And we'll try to kind of give some ideas about, at least for the Power Five, we'll get some ideas as to potentially how many teams will make the tournament and kind of how the conference uh, tournaments are setting up uh, in March. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome back. So let's get into WNBA mock draft stuff. Perfect time for this. If you think about most of the conferences, Power Five and uh, mid-majors, most of them are either halfway or a little bit more than halfway through their conference schedule. So this is kind of a good time to kind of look at where we are at this point. 
Then maybe around the time conference tournaments start, we'll kind of look at the mock draft again. Of course, we'll kind of monitor it through the NCAA tournament all the way up until the point to where players will have to declare. So currently, I mean, the, the way this looks out works out, Caitlin Clark is still your top pick. Now, here's the thing. We'll go through the names. You know some of the names. You know their stats, their capabilities, what have you. But here's the other piece, too. So Caitlin Clark, and, and I just learned this uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, but they also mentioned in the ESPN article uh, written by Emmy Vopel that Caitlin Clark has another year of eligibility. Now, let's, let's go ahead and keep it real. I honestly think now, considering the way she's scoring, she is uh, on, on pace to potentially break Kelsey Plum's uh, scoring record. The way she's scoring, she could do it. Now, would that be a, a reason for her to come back? I doubt it. I mean, I don't know. Again, you know, what if Iowa has another special season and maybe falls short? Now, if Iowa finishes the deal this year, which I don't know if Iowa's a Final Four team. That's just my personal opinion. I said that earlier on the season. I'm going to stick to it for right now. But, um, again, I think all signs, most people will probably say that she's on her way out the door. She's heading to Indiana. Um, Your second pick, Cameron Brink. So Cameron Brink is interesting because number one is L.A. She stays in California. In the article they talk about in 2012, Neka Ogumake, who's on her way out the door in L.A., came in and was that that difference maker in Los Angeles. So I think Cameron Brink, I agree with M.A. Vopel, that Cameron Brink definitely can be a difference maker in Los Angeles as they kind of rebuild that, 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 that franchise, not program, that franchise, uh, back into a known quantity in the WNBA. So, I mean, they have championships. They've had great players. And I think Cameron Brink can add to that. Uh, your, and, and, and Brink also can. She does have the option to return to college next year. Paige Beckers. Now, here's the thing. She can come back. She has two more years, but they have her going third to Phoenix. And Beckers has been battling injury, so um, knee injury last season. Um, but, of course, I think I talked about recently where she's kind of weighing her options. Like, she's kind of looking at, okay, a lot of players are hurt for UConn. I think, what is it, Brady, um, Ducharme, they're all hurt. You know, again, the, the players that really make this UConn program go. And Beckers is, and Paige Beckers is weighing her options, okay? So if looking at who's coming back, looking at who's potentially coming in, would it behoove me to stick around for maybe one more year to kind of push UConn to another national title. That's a, a decent, you know, way to think about things. But if she opts to leave, I mean, right now she's projected to go third. Now, the other thing here is maybe she stays another year and she goes first. It's hard to say. Um, Carmilla Cardozo, fourth to Seattle. Um, so, again, Seattle is in rebuild. Jewel Lloyd is sticking around. So now they got to rebuild the team around Jewel Lloyd and Carmilla Cardoza would be an amazing piece to go along with that rebuild. But again, another player who has eligibility and can, can come back next season. Uh, Rakia Jackson to Dallas. Um, again, she's had some injury issues as well. Um, and of course, uh, I think you're looking at the stats here. Um, Tennessee, blah, 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 blah. Tennessee has issues. Yeah, Tennessee, when she's off the court, again, they haven't been as good as they would like to be without her in the lineup. 
uh, going six to Washington is Leah Edwards. So again, from UConn, she has potentially has another year of eligibility if she sticks sticks around. But again, for Washington, this is very pivotal because again, what's happening here? Elena Deladon potentially is leaving. Uh, Natasha Cloud is potentially leaving. So they've got to find a piece that can kind of start the the next wave for this franchise. Of course. Uh, they've got uh, uh, Shakira Austin as well. So again, they've got young pieces to start retooling this this uh, franchise. But again, uh, she would be a good start at the power forward position. Uh, seven to Minnesota is Alyssa Pilly from Utah. Um, so again, uh, man, she I've said it before. She does not look six two, but she man, I, watching her play. I mean, her footwork is amazing. I mean, she just is. I guess the best way to say it, watching her play, I mean, she she comes downhill at you, but when she gets the post, she, she just knows where to be. Her positioning is so immaculate to me, and I think she would fit in very well in a lot of different places, but they got her going seven to Minnesota, and I think really going to Minnesota, I think that would really help to kind of keep pushing that Minnesota franchise uh, back into the conversation. Now, they got Angel Reese going at eight to Atlanta. Um, now, here's the thing. A couple ways. So, much like Caitlin Clark, Angel could come back next season. And then the other thing, too, is Angel Reese is making more money than, you know, anybody with NIL. So, I mean, she goes to the league, and it's just like, okay, I'm just playing ball and making, you know, making, you know, the league minimum or she's making a certain amount and got to work her way up to that that free agent money. But I don't know. She could make it work. But would it, again, would it be worth her time to come back to LSU one more year? Um, I don't know. I would say no. But, again, you know, I, I've sat here on this podcast and I've said, oh, I think this person should come back to school and they leave, or this person should leave and they come back to school. So, again, you don't know where they're going to go. You don't really know what the motivation is going to be for them to return to school. But all signs to me feel like, I mean, but she's got a natty. Um, I'm sure by now she's either going to get her degree or has earned a degree. I don't know where she is with her academics. But and plus, like I said, with NIL, NIL endorsement, she's making money hand over fist. Really, basketball for her would be a continuation of what she's doing. It wouldn't be a job. It'd be like, hey, I play basketball. And when season's over, I just go do my endorsements and 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 keep raking in the cash. So really, she could literally, I mean, and I'm hoping she's got a good stockbroker because I think she could literally just live off her NIL money and bank all the uh, WNBA money or vice versa, however you want to do it. And she's straight. So, I mean, she could play five, six years. Who knows? She gets lucky, wins a title. You know, she could just be like, I'm out and go do something else. She could, you know, she's got options. She's, she's very versatile and she's got a lot of options. But again, we also know the kind of player she is. I mean, she's very uh, game changing. She's definitely a very game changing player for lack of a better way to put it. Dallas at nine, Georgia Amore. I will tell you, Amore shooting is amazing. Now, again, yeah, she goes to tech. Okay, but I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Uh, quick release hella accurate uh, and Dallas needs some shooting I mean don't get me wrong um, they've got some shooters but they need a shooter like Georgia Amore I think that could raise them up a level as well 
uh, to the Sun at number 10, a 6'3 small four from Australia as is Nia Du. I'm going to say that's pooch. Um, so she's 19, and she's playing for the Southside Flyers in Australia, averaging eight points and four eight points a game and four four rebounds per game. Um, and uh, blah, 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 where one of her teammates, oh, and one of her teammates is Lauren Jackson. So there you go. So another one of those hidden gems coming out of Australia. Don't know much about this young lady, but sounds like uh, she's definitely uh, somebody that to, that can kind of shake things up as far as the top 12. Um, at 11, to the Liberty, Charisma Osborne. So Osborne, fifth year with UCLA. Um, again, she plays really good defense. So something about these UCLA guards that they play really good defense is that my mind you of anybody, but she can shoot as well. So definitely that would be a big piece for the Liberty and going uh 12th to Los Angeles, Isabel Borlace, a shooting guard out of Australia. So if she turns 20 September, she's averaging about 16 points, three assists for the Adelaide lightning in the WNBL. And she was also with pooch on the under 19 uh, world cup for Australia last summer. So again, um, I'm looking at her quick, uh, I'm looking at the uh, blurb here about her. Um, good transition game, ability to defend. Uh, but the question is, is she league ready? Again, um, you know, Kurt Miller, I think, would be really good to kind of help get her ready to play at this level. All right, so that's kind of the quick rundown of the top 12 of the mock draft. So again, we know that's going to change, but as it sits now, the names that you see are names of players who are on top, at least top 10, top 15 teams currently. So you're going to see the shift because, you know, somebody from um, a mid-major, somebody from, you know, a, a power five player that maybe is not quite on someone's radar is going to crash the party before April. So we'll see how it all uh, plays out in a little bit. All right, let's go to college basketball. Let's look at the ladies first. On Wednesday, Oklahoma over number 10, Texas, 91-87. Last night, oh boy, it was a bloodbath in Cameron. Duke over number 23, Florida State, 88 to 46. So for Florida State, this is their second straight loss. They lost that game last Sunday against Virginia at home. Listen to these numbers, gaudy numbers. Duke shot 53% from the field and 40% from three. Conversely, Florida State shot 20% from three and 22% from the field. Florida State threw up 76, seven, six shots and only hit 17. You want to talk about Brick City. Uh, now, listen, this Florida State team, they are good. I, I I watched them play. I like their game. But, and Duke's a good team. Duke, I think Duke is quietly very good. And they've kind of have been getting better. They've got size. They've got quickness. They've got good guard play. I mean, obviously, they're being coached by point guards. So of course, they got good guard play. But um, I don't know. Um, we'll we'll kind of do the conference rundown in a minute. But a 42-point win uh, over Florida State is very convincing, and it kind of you know makes you. And I think Florida State had a lot of turnovers. I mean, Duke I think won the rebounding battle by like plus four, but Duke had a lot of. I'm sorry, Florida State had a lot of turnovers, and you know what we say about turnovers on this show. Other scores from last night: number twenty-two Syracuse over number fifteen Notre Dame, seventy-nine sixty-five. That's two wins. So Syracuse goes two and zero against Notre Dame this season. So Coach Jack is getting it done at Syracuse. I mean. 
no question. There was no questions in my mind that she would, that she would not get it done. Um, she's always been a great coach. And, you know, again, when she got the Syracuse job, I was so happy that she got the job, that she got another opportunity because, you know, she's talked and I've you know seen videos of her talking about, you know, her time as a head coach. And, and, and when she went to Indiana and just got the gate and it was I mean, she got she got screwed at, at Indiana, but she's a really good coach. And her players love her. I mean, she's passionate. She she loves the game of basketball. She loves Syracuse. She's an alum. And so, I mean, she's really got this orange team uh, riding high. And, uh, and like I said, we'll get to the conference standings in a moment because there's a lot happening in the ACC. And I don't think I was a, as aware of what was happening in the ACC as far from the women's standpoint. But, oh, my goodness, it is very, very interesting. The big game of the night. Number nine LSU falls at home to number one South Carolina, 76-70. So this was a back-and-forth game. I mean, dogfight was, I think, the preferred term from head coach Don Staley for South Carolina, that it, it was back-and-forth. These teams went at each other. You wouldn't you wouldn't have it any other way. I didn't get a chance to see the game, unfortunately. But all five starters from South Carolina were in double figures, led by Chloe Kitts with 14. Bree Hall hit a three-pointer with a minute 14 left to cap an 11-point rally and to get uh, South Carolina in position to win the game. Anissa Morrow goes 16 points, 10 rebounds for the Tigers. And for LSU, all five of their starters are in double figures. South Carolina still undefeated, 18-0 and 6-0 in SEC play. LSU is now 18-3 and 5-2 in conference play. Tonight, uh, on schedule tonight, uh, we got number three Colorado heads to Gill Coliseum and Carvallis to take on 25th ranked Oregon State, 10 p.m. on Pac-12 Network, so Pac-12 After Dark. Saturday, we got a we got a primetime tilt, 8 p.m. on Fox. Number 15 Notre Dame heads to stores to take on number eight UConn. Sundays for the ladies, few game, oh, a couple games of note from the ranked action. Number 19 Virginia Tech heads to the aforementioned Dome to take on Syracuse, 22nd ranked noon ACC Network. 3 p.m., check your local listings. I'm assuming this will be Pac-12. Number 16, Utah will then take their turn, head to Corvallis to take on the Beavers of Oregon State. Let's look at the conference overviews here. So for the ladies, so we said S, uh, ACC. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at, I'm going to give you some overviews of these teams, quick overviews, not going to get too deep into it, and kind of give you a feel for how many teams might come out of the conference for the for the NCAA, t- NCAA title uh, tournament. rather. So the ACC. Your top four seeds right now, if this thing ended today, North Carolina, Syracuse. Syracuse is sitting squarely in the two seed. So UNC and Syracuse are tied at seven and one. But here's the thing. As we mentioned, Syracuse beat Notre Dame twice. UNC and Syracuse will only play once this season. They've already played Carolina won that matchup. So Syracuse, if they want to slide into that one position, they're kind of hoping UNC trips up a little bit as they move along. Now, obviously, they're going to focus on what they need to do, and they've been playing some good basketball. They hope UNC loses a couple games and maybe that one-two position flip-flops. Louisville sits in the three spot at 6-1, and one, and Virginia Tech in the four spot at 6-2. and two. So outside of that, NC State sits alone at 5-2, and two, Duke and Notre Dame both at 5-3, and three, Florida State at 5-4. and four. So looking at this, if this all kind of holds – Maybe not the seeding for the tournament, but their um, order, more or less, and their winning ways. The ACC is looking like they could get eight teams into this thing. 
So that's actually pretty good. Looking at all these conferences, that your Power Five conferences, it looks like um, ACC is going to be the leader with about eight teams. I think they might tie with the Pac-12. We'll get to the Pac-12 in a minute. From the Big Ten, you've got six teams possible. So the top six teams, Ohio State, Iowa, Indiana, those are your top three. They're all at seven and one. Penn State, Nebraska, and Michigan are at five and three. And Penn State has had a heck of a turnaround. And under Carolyn Keeger, they've just kind of raised the level every year. So they're kind of in that nice position. And then not too far out of it at four and four are both Minnesota, Michigan State, and Maryland. Maryland's 12 and seven and four and four in conference. If you had told me at the start of the season that Maryland, the Maryland Terrapins under Brenda Freeze would be four and four in Big Ten conference play, I would have called you crazy. But they're not out of it, but this is kind of a feels like it's an off year for them. But I mean, Iowa, yes. Uh, Indiana, yes. Iowa, uh, Ohio State have been the the cream of the conference, the cream of the crop for a couple years now. Uh, Michigan still in the conversation. Usually, Michigan is usually somewhere in that top three or four. Uh, Michigan State is you know slowly getting back into the conversation. Uh, Minnesota wasn't expecting a lot from them, but they're they're kind of hanging around. So Minnesota's got a little work to do, as is Michigan State and Maryland. And Illinois is at two and six. And I believe last year, uh, under first year head coach Shauna Green, they were not, they did fairly well, but they're struggling this year at two and six. SEC probably about four teams. So obviously South Carolina six and zero, Tennessee at five and one, LSU at five and two. Now behind all of that. You got Vandy and Ole Miss at four and two. I told you, Vandy, Vanderbilt is making moves under Shea Ralph. So this Vandy team, I mean, listen, there's still time. Vandy could, let's see, one, two, one, three. So right now, Vandy and Ole Miss are tied for the fourth seed. So I think they still do top four. Most of these conferences do that top four get a bye because there's so many teams and sometimes the numbers are weird. The Big 12 is the outlier. They do. I think the way the Big 12 works, well, since they've added some some members that may not do the same thing, they used to do this thing where the last two teams don't even play. It was so crazy and crowded. But but if it's top four for SEC, if I recall correctly, Vanderbilt's got a really good chance to be in that top four. So Shea Ralph is building something really special at Vanderbilt. The Big 12, Kansas State is 8-0. They've played the last two or three games of Aoka Lee, and they are humming along, and they're probably going to be a top-five team next week. Um, behind them is Oklahoma State at 6-1, and one, Iowa State at 6-2, and two, West Virginia at 5-2, and two, Texas 5-3, and three, and Baylor 4-3. and three. So the Big 12 is looking like they'll get six teams in, and I think with SEC, I said about four or five, four to five teams in SEC. Uh, the Pac-12. So the Pac-12 has six ranked teams. Colorado, Stanford are both at six and one. UCLA's at four and two. Oregon State and Utah are at four and three. Washington State, USC are at three and three. Then you've got Cal at three and four. Washington at two and four. Cal and Washington's got some work to do. Maybe they make it up. If they make it up, this is probably an eight-team league. So right now, it's looking like potentially the Pac-12 and the ACC on the ladies' side could get in more than six teams, maybe seven or eight, depending on how everything kind of uh, pans out uh, at the end of the season. 
All right, so let's look at the men's side. So as we signed off on the last show, we said there were really no ranked games until the weekend. There's only about two ranked games of note were ranked on ranked action. There were upsets this week. So let's go back to uh, Wednesday night. Alabama over number eight, Auburn, 79-75. Northwestern takes down number 10, Illinois, 96-91 in overtime. Nevada takes down number 24, Colorado State, 77-64. Last night in Corvallis, man, Corvallis is popular on the show today. Shout out to Corvallis. Oregon State, the Beavers take down number nine, Arizona, 83-80. Jordan Pope hits a game-winning three-pointer at the buzzer. He says, it's time to go home. And the crowd went mad at Gill Coliseum. Let's move to Saturday. Ranked action starting 130 CBS. Number seven, Kansas heads to Hilton Coliseum to take on number 23, Iowa State. 2 p.m. ESPN Plus, Texas Tech, 20th ranked, heads to, to heads to Norman to take on number 11, Oklahoma. Let's look at the conference overviews for the men. So the ACC, <laughs> we got three, your top three. You've got UNC, Florida State, and Duke. UNC's undefeated at 8-0. Florida State's at 6-2, and and Duke is at 5-2. So Duke at third at 5-2, very, very, um, not surprising, but it's good because Duke, Duke's been up and down this year, but they're starting, I feel like they're starting to really push towards playing more consistent basketball. The fourth position is muddy. NC State, Wake, and Virginia are all at five and three. So those are three teams I feel like may have a chance. I think if I had to give if I had to give more than six teams, I would say obviously UNC, Florida State, and Duke, obviously. Miami is at four and four along with Syracuse and Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech and Syracuse are surprising the heck out of me. Tech did not look like a very good team. They're actually better than I thought they were. But if there are four teams in here of these, uh, so you got uh, wait, I'm sorry, three. If I had to pick three more teams to go, maybe four, it would have to be Wake, Miami, and NC State. Virginia's a maybe. Virginia's a iffy. Right now, I don't know. I didn't get a look at bracketology. I feel like Virginia is kind of just on the bubble, just on the bubble. And they're kind of keep sliding on and off the bubble. Um, the way they've been playing, I mean, they picked up the pace. I mean, uh, was it Jordan Minor has just been amazing the last two games for the Cavaliers. But uh, the, the way Virginia has been had been playing, I'm thinking, man, we'd be lucky if we go to the NIT this year. But Virginia might slide in, but I don't know. I mean, unless the offensive game steps up, which the offense hasn't been very good, the defense is kind of sort of held together. It hasn't been... It hasn't been Virginia good. It hasn't been really, really good. So with that said, if Virginia slides into the tournament, I would be surprised if they made it out of the first round. Last year, they had a better chance. Of course, you know, Furman just came with it. I mean, there, there's really no other way you can say it. I mean, everything those guys threw at the basket when the ball, everything, everything they threw at the basket went in. And, you know, Virginia just had to struggle and scrape, and they just couldn't make it. Um Clemson's at three and four. They had a strong start. Um, there's still time to make it up. And Pitt is at three and five, but Pitt's on the on the upswing. Remember, Pitt beat Duke at home the other night. So Pitt, I think, and Clemson potentially could get themselves in the mix over the next few games. Over to the Big Ten. The Big Ten, I think, we're looking at four 
possibly six. Wisconsin is the standard bearer at seven and one, followed by Purdue at seven and two. Illinois, Northwestern are at five and three. Nebraska is at five and four. So right now, if this thing ended, it would probably be Wisconsin, Purdue, Northwestern, and Illinois as your top five. Nebraska would be at fifth. I'm sorry, top four. Nebraska would be at five. And hey, remember, Fred Hoiberg, he got one more year to get this right at Nebraska, and so far, so good. So Nebraska's in the mix. They've got to keep doing what they're doing to stay in the conversation in the Big Ten. And then work to do Indiana, Michigan State at four and four. So all in all, this could be a six-bid league. So right now, the ACC and the Big Ten right now, uh, I would say strongly four for the Big Ten. I would say strongly five or six for the ACC. The SEC, we're looking at five or six teams. Alabama, Auburn are tied at five and one. Tennessee's at four and one. Then you got a log jam below them. Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina at four and two. LSU, Mississippi, Florida, Texas A&M at three and three. If I had to go through this, Alabama, Auburn for sure. Tennessee, three. Um, Kentucky, so we say one, two, three, four, five, six. We got six. And then of the three and three teams, if I had to choose... Maybe LSU, definitely Florida, and Texas A&M. So this could be, the SEC could potentially get in more than six teams, possibly. So a couple weeks ago, listening to some conversations, the ACC definitely looks like a team that could get in more than six. Looking at the way this is looking out uh, with, with the SEC, the SEC could get more than six as well. The Big Ten, probably six teams, Texas Tech is your standard bearer at four and one. At four and two, Kansas, Kansas State, Houston, and Iowa State, and Baylor at three and two. So possibly six teams make it for the Big 12. The Pac 12, we're looking at possibly seven teams. Oregon leads the Pac 12 at six and two, Colorado six and three. Then Arizona State, Stanford, and Arizona at five and three, and then at five and four, Washington State and Utah. So potentially seven teams from the Pac 12. But now, again, the power five, let's say we had uh, set, let's just say seven teams from each league. That gives you 35 teams and then what is 68 teams. So you need another 33 teams. So your automatic qualifiers from your um, your mid majors and then, of course, you're at large teams. So the way this works out here, obviously, is let's say the ACC gets in five teams. There could be some bids that come out of the ACC, out of the Big Ten. Uh, the SEC, I might be overplaying it a little bit here, but if they don't, well, obviously, the, the there'll be automatic bids, obviously, but I'm uh, not automatic bids. Um, duh. Um, uh, you know, they would get in by record. So, again, the SEC, based on records, not just not conference records, but the conference play is driving it. But the SEC could be a more than 16 league, Pac-12, as well as the ACC. So that kind of gives you a general overview. I mean, that was a lot for one failed swoop. But um, the ACC is getting really interesting. Um, the SEC, a um, lot going on. But these teams at 4-2 and two and 3-3, three and three, I think, can make a push. Um, also... The Big 12, it's not all about Kansas, but 
Kansas has been taking their lumps, as they said, as we said, Texas Tech is leading this thing. And Oregon six and two is a little bit of a surprise because you know Oregon over the last couple of years have been okay, haven't been great, but nevertheless, um, they are getting it done on the men's side. All right, so with that, let's get to dubs and L's. So I got a dub and an L, you know, and that's the thing. I always do this to myself. I never remember to write down a lot of the things that I read or I see or I remember that are potential L's. So I'm going to go with these two that I came up with because essentially, you know, they're relevant. But let's start with the with the L. Let's start with the dub, actually. The dub is going to be quick, fast, and hurry. Um, so hopefully you heard about the Fat Five reunion or you saw the pictures online. And, you know, that was cool because um, it, it, it's like those guys, if you, if you remember them, they're iconic for – a lot of reasons, the way they played the game, the way that they dressed, their attitudes, and all their careers went in different directions. Um, so, of course, four of them were in the game. And, of course, Jawan Howard is the head coach at Michigan. So, you know, he had a chance to uh, take a picture with, with uh, his, his fellow teammates, um, I think, after the, after the game that particular day. Um, but, again, I mean – when was the last time those guys were together? I mean, like in public, I'm sure they've probably had moments where they're together, but um, that was quite a time to be alive. I mean, we talk about, you know, the joke on social media is, you know, you weren't in the streets when this was going on. And a lot of you were not in the streets when the Fab Five was taken over. And man, I tell you, those are some, some amazing dudes and uh, kids go to the YouTubes and, watch those games and watch those highlights um uh, that that, the the documentary told you so much and you learned so much i mean some things you knew but other things you didn't know but you understand by watching that documentary what those guys what they meant to each other what they meant to the program uh the things that they had to go through and i think it tells a really good story about college athletics things that you probably either don't know or things you probably don't believe are going on. And uh, it was really good to see those guys together again, especially Chris Weber. I mean, Weber, you know, there, there was a lot going on with him. I think there was was something about he, I don't remember the whole story, couldn't come back to campus or, or just vowed he'd never be back, but here he is. And uh, good to see him. Hopefully we'll get more of those moments uh, with the Fab Five uh, moving forward. Let's go to the L. Um the Chargers. So back to the Chargers. So the Chargers went through a number of rounds of interviews for their head coach. And one report came out that the Chargers interviewed former Stanford head coach David Shaw. So where's the L in that? The L in that. And nothing. OK, so nothing is David Shaw. The man's an amazing coach and he needs to get back into college coaching very soon. But the issue here is the Rooney rule. So what? So NFL finally gets. An L for 2024? Shocker. I, I thought it would take longer. Uh, well, the Super Bowl's around the corner, so we'll see. They're, they're going to do something problematic. I can just feel it. But how do you interview somebody and that person isn't really on your radar? 
So essentially what the Chargers did is they did one of those sham interviews because we don't want to be in violation of the Rooney rule. Well, why don't you then have a list of legitimate candidates who are black to bring in to interview? Don't interview somebody because you got to check a box. That's the problem. And, you know, their, their excuse is going to be, oh, well, you know, we followed the rules. And when you do those sorts of things, it spits in the face of the intent of the rule, number one. And number two, I feel like when you have these sham interviews, and they're not the first. I'm, I don't want to just pick on the chargers. They're not the first to have these sham interviews. But I feel like if you're going to do that, you might as well start giving up some draft picks. You might as well start paying some fines because th that, again, does not help with the problem. The problem is simply this, increasing diversity in the ranks of NFL coaches. There are plenty of black assistants, uh, assistant coaches, position coaches, coordinators who are qualified to be NFL coaches. But, you know. What's the world we live in? Diversity is bad. Oh, we don't want things to be diverse. That makes that that discriminates against me. No, no, stop it, stop it. You sound like an idiot. Okay. Again, as I say, if you know the history of our country, the history that some people don't want you to learn, it was always let's interview or let's hire this person because I know them. Let's interview this person because, oh, he seems to be smarter than the black candidate. And in some cases, we find out that's not the case. You know, this whole, oh, they are a DEI hire. It's just like, you know, this whole, we want to hire you because of the content of your character. Mm, did we ever really do that? Did we ever really do that? It was always, oh, well, yeah, you seem nice, but, eh, you know, we're going to go with this guy because he's not black. It's like, come on, guys, you know, tell the truth. Like my mother used to say, tell the truth and let the Lord love you, that you know that this is not right, that, you know, discrimination is wrong. It's been going on for years. It's still going on, and we have to remedy that in some way. But if you think that diversity is a problem, then you're part of the problem. OK, but yeah, I think I need the NFL to get a little more serious about levying some fines when you just find the random coach who isn't working, random black coach. Let me change that. The random black coach who isn't working and say, hey, can you come in for an interview next week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just come on in. And they're probably on the phone like, so when was I a candidate for this job? I mean, Far as I heard, I mean, again, I'm no NFL insider, but the last I heard, David Shaw was not on any of the lists I read. Again, no disrespect to him. Hey, the man should be working, but, you know, to call him in just to fill a box, that's wrong. The NFL needs to fix that, and they need to fix that post-haste. All right there, ladies and gentlemen, with that, I leave you on this Friday. It is 70 degrees. This is madness, ladies and gentlemen. It is almost the end of January, and wasn't it snowing about a week ago, at least it was here. So, yeah, guys, climate change is real. Stop kidding yourself. And if you don't believe climate change is not real, you are part of the problem. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your time. Make sure that you uh, listen to 
Um, now, of course, listen to the show. Of course, you're listening to the show right now. But make sure that you rate, subscribe, um, give me a five star rating, please. Um, you know, tell a friend about the show. Uh, emails in the show notes. Email the show with questions, comments, concerns. Um, continue to take care of yourself. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the basketball. Um, more to come. We're going to talk more stuff next week. Australian Open comes to, and then this weekend, the first major in tennis. But until I talk to you next week sometime, probably Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, new work schedule, haven't figured it out yet, but you'll get the notification. Hey, set your notifications for when the show comes out. You'll get the notification when it comes out. Also, one other note, new episode of Baldhead Logic dropped this past Monday. Uh, another one will drop this coming Monday and the Monday after that. So you're getting three uh, episodes of me and my and my bro, DJ Cam One, just talking. So hit us up, check us out, Baldhead Logic, wherever you listen, uh, on wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, continue to stay healthy, protect yourself. Get your COVID vaccine, get your flu vaccine, and always remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sports wagon pod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.